Welcome to the Women's Health Wisdom and Wine podcast, a bi-weekly conversation with practitioners, providers, patients, and healers about complex reproductive medicine and women's health challenges, the value of an integrative approach to these challenges, many of the women's health topics you're already thinking about but uncomfortable talking about, and my personal favorite, wine. I'm your host, Dr. Lorena White, an integrative reproductive medicine and women's health provider, licensed acupuncturist, clinical herbalist, and a former labor support doula in the Washington, D.C. metro area. My goal is to bring women's health-specific evidence and expertise to the forefront of daily health and wellness news through informative conversations. If you have ideas, questions, and specific topics that you would like us to cover in future podcast episodes, please leave them in the comment section or send us an email. To learn more, visit the website at www.lorenawhite.com. As you enjoy the podcast, conversations, and wine time, please remember that this podcast is not designed to be a substitute or bona fide relationship with a licensed or certified healthcare professional. Why is it so hard to have candid, open, and honest conversations about sex? In today's episode, Renee Moore talks with me about everything from libido, desire, and pleasure, to arousal, erotic script, and even consent. Let's listen. Today, we will be talking with Miss Renee Yvonne, and we're talking about sex. So let's get started. Miss Renee, so sex therapy, sexology, that's already a loaded set of phrases and words and concepts, um, which elicit kind of different responses from different people, depending Mm -hmm. on who you talk to. And most of us are familiar with the Let's Talk About Sex uh, song by salt and Pepper that came out in about, I think, 1991 and highlighted some of the aspects of safe sex, the negative aspects, the negative and positive aspects of sex, and the general censorship that sex had at that time. So that was around 30 years ago, which is kind of hard for me to believe. So share with us how you began your career as a sexologist and how you feel sexology and sex therapy in general has evolved over the last 30 years. Yeah. Yeah. I thought I was born in 91. So yeah. Wow. <laughs> and I remember when that song came out. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. I remember when the song came out, but I don't think I was supposed to be partaking of it in the manner that I was, nor do I think I understood everything that I was hearing. So yeah, they were just terms and words and it was a nice catchy beat, but I think That's that was there was there was more to it than uh <laughs> than I was that I knew what was going on. So yeah, talk to us. Let us know yeah. what 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 has happened in the last thirty years with the field of sex therapy and sexology. Yeah. So I'll I'll start with the yeah, part the other part of your question, which is how I got into this. And sure. I was in a sexless relationship for a few years with somebody that I really cared about love. And I just did not know what was going on. And because as women, I think we get the message that men always want sex. They're always up for it. And so when they're not, you're kind of like, what's wrong with me? So right. I was running around taking all these classes 
and trying to figure out like, how can I, you know, arouse him and seduce him? Nothing was working. And then I found out that he was actually on a medication that was causing side effects that decreased his desire to have sex. So that changed a lot of things um, in my mind because I realized it's not me. Um, it could have been me, but there, it wasn't. It mm-hmm. wasn't all me. That a lot of it was the medication. Right. But it. What happened before I found that out was I started talking to people because it was kind of embarrassing. Like it's one of those things. Right. Like what's wrong with me? And I started talking to people, and they were other women were telling me they were experiencing the same thing with their partners, and um, that got me to thinking. Like, wow, this is something that's going on, and no one's really talking about it. Absolutely. So I went back to school. I decided I didn't want to go back to college school but I went to um, a place called Sex Coach U and studied uh, to be a clinical sexologist and it was it was really great to learn that and it was interesting also to find out that sexist relationships are pretty common unfortunately and a sexist relationship is defined as having sex 10 or fewer times per year and uh, okay let's calculate that 10 or fewer (laughs) times a year so that's like less than once a month it's less than once a month like once every six weeks so, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And some people are having it less than that. I mean, you said t- between 10 and less than, less 10, than 10 to 15, yeah. 10 or fewer times, less than yeah. 10, 10 or fewer times, less than 10. Okay. Got it. So, uh, so yeah, so I was in that category. So, um, okay. so I went back to school, I learned a lot and decided that, you know, this would be a great, like second, you know, or for me, like probably 12th career, this would be a great like, <laughs> retirement career that um, that I could work with. And I decided to work with Gen Xers and baby boomers because we got a terrible education when it came to sex. And, right. you know, like when I was in school, I, I had graduated high school when that song came out. But when we were in school, I went to Catholic school and we learned terrible things like everything was about keeping your legs closed and you're going to get an std Mm -hmm. and i remember them telling us if you masturbated you would go blind and i had people that told me if you masturbated you would grow hair in your hands like they told oh my gosh they told us some (laughs) terrible erroneous information that's scary that's frightening i mean that's absolutely scary that's horrifying that's horrifying yeah, anything, but you, so for me, I wasn't Catholic, so I didn't believe any of it. <laughs> so, okay, okay. So like, that's not true. <laughs> like, that is so horrifying. But, um, but we got really bad education, and so to so now when I'm talking to people, it's no wonder to me that we're not having great sex because we were never really talking about it. We never talked about right. pleasure. We never talked about even the mechanics of sex. A lot of the education we got, especially as girls, was don't do it. You'll get pregnant. You'll get an STD. And that was pretty much it. So I love that this generation behind us and even the generation behind them, they seem to be very open um, about sex and sexuality and willing to talk about it, which is something that we didn't really do. And they're willing to ask questions and, you know, with the Internet and all the things that are out, they just seem to be more open. That's at least that's how I feel about it. I don't know. If that's, that's right. True, but right. It seems that way. That could just be because of the Internet. Like we didn't really have anywhere to go. You had. Right. That's true. <laughs> you know? That is so that's so very true. And when I think about I mean, you mentioned like 
already some intimate topics in terms of like medication and how it affects sex drive and what that does to the other partner in terms of second guessing your level of attractiveness, whether there could potentially be someone else, Mm -hmm. like what's wrong with me, changing things that may not even need to be changed, all because of how the expected response that one feels that men in particular need to have in order for their overall response, whether that be libido, desire, pleasure, all of those things that we're going to talk about a little later on, for them to be normal. Mm -hmm. And if they're not doing the thing that is stereotypically, and I'll say so because it's not necessarily indicative of, you know, every man, and they're not doing the thing that is stereotypically normal, then immediately, instead of turning it on him, we turn it on ourselves, like, okay, what's wrong with me? What am I doing wrong? And all those other things. And I think that's a common thing that we do as women when there's, that may not be the case. And it could be a combination of the two, but at the same time, looking into some other factors and how we question ourselves immediately. And again, going back into our own self-worth, like, what am I doing? How is, how am I need to change differently? All those different things when it could be something as simple as a medication that either can be changed or altered and even talking about that. How was that conversation? Was there ever a conversation about, Oh, now that we know that it's medication, what can we do to work on that? Um, or was it kind of like, okay, it's medication. This is how it is. And next. A little bit of both. So there was, there was, there was conversation. Um, there was some changing of the meds but mm-hmm. it didn't. It didn't change anything. It didn't. It didn't make things better. Right. Um, and so it just kind of became. That's the way it was. Right. Um, which was sad. Like, yeah. and you know, we're not together now. But that was really a difficult place to be mm-hmm. in a in a relationship where you just feel like this person just doesn't. You know, even though it's medication, it just feels like they don't want you. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. And that can be painful. I can yeah. understand then that can be very painful. So in terms of approaching that topic as well as other topics, mm-hmm. how do you talk and what is your approach to sexology in terms of redefining and reclaiming that sexual question. energy? So I, so when I'm working with couples um, that are dealing with that, one of the things I'll say to them is, there's well, there's a few things, but one of the first things I'll say is, mm-hmm that you need to acknowledge it's happening. Like let's not pretend that it's not happening because sometimes they just want to go in and like, how can we just start having sex again? But I think you need to acknowledge that it's happening, why it's happening and deal with the resentment of it because there, there usually is some resentment. Like somebody feels some kind of way about the fact that they're not being touched, held, kissed, whatever. Mm. And so acknowledging that, but then kind of just like, okay, I'm, I'm upset. I'm mad that we're not doing this. And then letting that person just kind of process that. Um, and then the other partner just hearing it and then figuring out what you can do, because it could be that the medication can change or it could be that they're stressed and they need, you know, they need to just relax. It could be that they're going through menopause. Maybe there's an illness, you know, there could be something physically going on that they don't know right. about. And so figuring that out is, is a big part of it. Um, the communication piece, though, can be really challenging because you don't want to hurt the person's feelings. Like, I think that's right. why we don't talk about it as much. Yes. And so 
one of the things we have to do is um, that I like to do with couples is to talk about is to do a fear, desire, love uh, exercise with them. Mm-hmm. And so in that exercise, it's very simple, but it's hard <laughs> to do. Let's do it now. I want to do, do it. I want to do it. I want to do it. <laughs> So what happens is you sit with your partner, you take some time a night when you don't have anything, you know, there's no distractions. You sit down with your partner and you tell them one thing that you fear in the relationship. And it could be, I fear that if we don't have sex, you're going to lose, I'm going to lose you. I fear that if we don't have sex, you're going to cheat on me. You're going to divorce me. So it has to be a fear that's about the relationship, not a fear of, I'm afraid of cats or something like yeah, that. No, it has no. to be, and, okay. I just want to make sure I know the parameters. I'm trying to make sure I have all the things. It has to be a fear. Now, does it have to be about sex or just about the relationship? It can be just about the relation. It can be about the relationship. Okay. Um, if you want, it can definitely be about sex, but it, it's okay. mostly about the relationship in general. in general. And this is another, again, background, like context question. Is this happening in your office or is this happening virtually? Are they doing this in front of you? Are they doing this at home by themselves? When and what is the context and what is the background shaping up like? What is this looking like in real time? This is a great, this is great because you know what, I've always just sent them home with it. <laughs> but okay. as you've asked that question, I'm like, you know what? I should probably be there and listen to this. To be an arbitrator, it's right? Easier because what's hard is the next part of it, which is okay. once you say the fear, the other person says, thank you. They just acknowledge that it's been said. There's no dis- Oh, that's it? it? That's it. Yeah. Just thank you, period? Just thank you. Mm-hmm. So they say something of their fear, whatever that could be, mm-hmm. whether it's unfounded or founded. I mean, either way, it's mm-hmm. their reality. It's their fear that they're expressing. One partner says that. And the other partner, once that fear is expressed, says thank you. That's it. Okay. It's All really right. hard to do. And then I and think then that's I, where I think the challenges might be coming in. Uh-huh. I can see how that cha- could be challenging. Because people immediately want to start talking about it. And when yeah. I did it, it was like that. I was like, this is not supposed to go like this. Like, just, right. Like, just say thank you. Um, so, yeah, so that's what happens. So they do it. They say thank you. I mean, you say thank you. They okay. do it. You say thank you. And then that's, you don't discuss it. So we both do fear first. Mm-hmm. I say my fear. My partner says, thank you. He says his fear. I say, thank you. Mm-hmm. Round one is over. Yes, round one is over. So this should be like about a 30 second thing. Yeah, it's not, it doesn't take long to do. That's what I say. It's, it's very simple. If you're doing it right. If you're doing it right. When right. you get okay. as long as five hours. <laughs> you're right. I was like, whoo. Right. Like- okay. All right. So round two is desire. Round two is no? desire. Desire. Okay. Tell, so tell me more. Desire. You tell your partner something that you would like to have in a relationship. So, and it could be anything. So, um, you might say, you know, I desire that we have more oral, oral sex. I desire okay. that we have, um, we try BDSM. I desire okay. to, um, explain that BDSM. I'm aware of the term. Yeah. Some of our listeners may not be. Yeah, Can you spell sure. that? So out it for stands us? for bondage, domination, submission, and masochism. And so, or gotcha. masochism, um, could be the S part too. So it could be anything from, um, light spanking to flogging, to being restrained, to, um, Straight Fifty Shades of Grey. Straight Fifty Shades of Grey, blindfolds. Got it. Yeah, it could be all of okay. that. Okay. And so, okay. 
some people, so you may say that, like you may, you may not want to go all straight Fifty Shades of Grey, but you may say, you know, some light spanking would be nice. You know, I'd like a little flogging sometimes, something. And so okay. you say that, your partner says, thank you. They say theirs. You say, thank you. Round two is over. Over, yeah. Okay. All right. So this is very minimalistic in nature. It is. Yeah. Okay. All right. And round three is? <laughs> is love. So you end out saying okay. something that you love about your partner. I love okay. when you kiss me. I love that you, and it, that really can't be some, anything in a relationship. Like I love that you okay. wash the dishes before, um, you know, we go to bed. So I don't have to worry about that. And I can relax and just be with you. I love that we, right. you, know, do, you know, do things together. Uh, we have date night every Thursday. They say, thank right. you. They mention what they love about you. You say, thank you. And it's done. So that's round okay. Three. So round three. So this should be like over in like two minutes. It should be. Like this whole exercise should be over in like two I mean, minutes. Yeah. It should be. I mean, given some longer pauses before you mention your fear or before you mention your desire mm-hmm. or I mean, shouldn't maybe not take so long to think about or narrow down the thing that you want to mention that you love, but this should not take long. It shouldn't take long at all. Okay. Now in the perfect world, this shouldn't mm-hmm. take long. Mm-hmm. I can imagine. Mm-hmm without having an arbitrator at home doing this exercise by oneself, it does not go as smoothly. Probably not. So I'm going to start being an arbitrator because I had not thought about doing it. I can, I I can only imagine this and this is only on my end, either wanting to not necessarily fix a response, but especially if it's a fear that's unfounded, like, Oh my Mm -hmm. goodness, that's not true. And I would never do that. And going into a whole, thing way beyond thank you um so let's say couple a does everything you say they do it correctly their exercise is done in two minutes Mm -hmm. when and is there a time to address what was said yes so i i like for couples to give it some time to marinate Okay. Um, a couple of hours to the next day is is optimal because oftentimes, like you say, what you're doing is you're trying to formulate a response when they're talking. Right. Oftentimes, and so I want people to sit on it because they may they may sit on it and say, "Wow, I had no idea that he thought that I was going to leave him if we right. didn't have sex." Like I can't believe they thought that. And so you you know you're trying to find solutions. You want to you want to talk about that. But I think if you sit on it for a while, you could come up with something that's not as rash. You won't you won't be right. arguing about it. Right, um, right. The desires may come up. He, the, you know, your partner may say something. And you're like, oh, I didn't know they wanted to do that. I want to do that too. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> you too. <laughs> no idea. <laughs> and so there's a chance for for that to happen. And then when they and then the love part to hear, especially if they say something that you didn't realize they loved about you, because sometimes right. I think we know. We think we know the things our partner loves, but when they mention something that you didn't realize they really noticed, that's like magical in some way. Like, wow, I had no idea that he loved that about me. And right. That's powerful. That um, and so. And that in of itself can be a relationship builder to know something yeah. that either that wasn't previously communicated or some small thing that you never even 
considered or thought about Mm -hmm. could be a relationship builder just in that commentary. So I think that's a a nice way to end. Um, But very intimate things in general, no matter where you look at it, very intimate, but ways to build that relationship. Mm -hmm. So you've touched on something earlier on, and I want to kind of revisit it in more detail. Why do you believe that it's so hard for people to have these honest conversations, these candid conversations about sex, especially in couples, even amongst friends? Because I think even when we're talking amongst our friends, there's a lot of um, omissions or things that are being blown up, but maybe aren't necessarily happening. Because I definitely know there's more patients I know who are not enjoying their sex life than patients that I have that are like, yeah, my libido's great. I'm doing it as much as I want mm-hmm. and I'm enjoying the all the entire experience. Mm-hmm. That is not what I experience on a day to day when I have conversations in the in the appointment space and the treatment space. So talk to me. Why do you feel that the, we just can't have these conversations in a in a safe way, in a candid way, and honestly? I think there's a lot of shame around sex and sexuality. And we, it's, it's so weird. It's one of the reasons I also wanted to go into this is that um, in Catholic school, I remember because they, because it was so like, don't touch it, don't do it. I thought this must be awesome because nobody wants to do it. <laughs> that was literally my thought. Like, Let's do this. Ever. And so, um, and, and it turns out that it, it is, it's great, but, <laughs> but, but no one, um, no one's talking about it and we don't really learn anything about it. And so people right. are figuring it out on their own. Like as a, as a teenager or a young adult, there's, it's not like, you know, in some cultures they will take the young person and they will put them with an older person and they will learn the mechanics of making love and how to please their partner. We don't do that in America. And so we're just out here flailing around, watching porn, talking to our ignorant friends who know nothing. You know, Less than you do. You know, not ignorant mm-hmm. in a bad way, but they just don't know anything either. And so that's what we're yeah. that's what we're doing. But there's so much shame around it from you know, from school, from religion. So we don't talk about it and we don't right. learn because we're afraid that if we tell that person, if we talk to the kids about sex, then they'll want to go do it. If we mention something about it, then, you know, what does that mean to my partner? And I think that, I think that happens more. I don't know this for a fact, but I have friends that are um, in the LGBT community and they are also in the Mm -hmm. poly community. They communicate a lot more than cisgender heterosexual people do. And I find that fascinating because they really do talk about all of this all of this stuff. We're just kind of like assuming right. people know what to do. And then we get to a right. certain age and we don't want to teach anything either. Like I I'm always hear yeah. guys like, yeah, women don't want to teach anything. And I was like, well, I don't know exactly what they're, I don't know. I said, let me tell you what I mean by this. Like, right. like, the <laughs> like you should know where my clitoris is, but wait a minute, let's pause. Some women don't even know oh, where their own clitoris is. And I mean, and I'm not saying this to be That's funny, true. But I have models in each of our our rooms and there's so many women. I'm not talking just like the 15 and 16 year olds. I'm talking about the 45 and 55 year olds that don't know the difference between the vagina, the difference between the urethra, the difference between the anus, the difference between, you know, vulva, the difference between where is the clitoris. There are women who don't know these things and they speak about them, 
But the more we speak about them, the more I'm realizing, I don't think you have a grasp of these things. So then when I get the model out and I'm like, okay, let's look at these things and their eyes get really big and they're like, you want me to like touch it? I'm like, it's a model, it's plastic. So first of all, it's not real. Um, Nothing's gonna reach out and grab you. But it's important. I have one that's like kind of just static and one that actually is movable so they can feel the texture. They can see where things are in terms of proportions. And like you need to be able to look at these things and identify these things on yourself before you can even expect that someone else is going to know how to utilize your body parts to for for pleasure, theirs and yours. Um, and I think a lot of times that's like the anatomy physiology lesson is a good place to start because a lot of women just don't know pre- precisely because like you described, there's a lot of conversation about what not mm-hmm. to do, but not what to do. And that's from hygiene all the way up to sexual interaction. So, and you touched on something else early, like when you compare and contrast, you mentioned more conversation. What other differences do you find that exist between men and women around these conversations, including cisgender and heterosexual men and women and transgender distinctions? Um, besides the conversation? Besides the conversations? Please, I don't yeah. work with a, with a lot of, I don't, I don't actually don't have any clients that, are, that I know of that are in the LGBT community. I just happen to have friends that okay. are, but I just, I just notice yes. that they just talk a lot more. Like they just seem to, right, they're, they're right. very open and they're very, they're very much discussing like, what is the relationship like? And is, are we in a relationship? Like there's that part because oftentimes, wow. you know, you, we, as cisgender, I think we'll go out with somebody two or three times and we're like, we go together, you know, they don't necessarily mm-hmm. do that. Or on the other side of the equation, it's, it's complicated. complicated. <laughs> yes, we're bought a house, but we're not together. <laughs> right. And so I just feel like they have, they discuss things. At least that's what I'm seeing from right. the friends I have. Like, I, I, of course, can't blanket that across the board. But from the friends I have, I noticed that. Right. I'm like, wow, it's really great that they're open and they're discussing. And it's not, their assumptions aren't being made about where this is going yeah. and what we're doing. Um, so I, I, I think, I think cisgender heterosexual people need more conversations like that and to feel, not feel embarrassed about it and not feel like I, you know, I already know what I'm doing. I don't need to talk about this. No, you need to talk about it because every person you're with is different and everybody's body is different. And what works on this person might not work on the next person. Like one person might really like something you did but the next girl is like oh please don't talk about me like that just that ain't working you know? so you right. know that yeah right and I think that's a good part I mean without conversation you may right. never get to that point in terms of not just exploration but also like that's mm-hmm. not working for me but right. here's what is and continuing to do something that's not working can also be a turnoff because there is no intimacy there is no touching base in terms of what is actually working and you utilizing energy that could be used in more beneficial ways so I think that's very important in terms of I think that fear desire love uh, exercise Mm -hmm. would come in very handy so I I like that already so in in the clinical space Mm -hmm. we talk about hypoactive sexual desire disorder Mm -hmm. and pretty much that's just the medicalized term most commonly known as low libido and it affects about one in 10 women. And as gynecologists, there are usually three 
common responses when a woman says that her veto is not where it should be or where she'd like it to be. Mm -hmm. There's either nothing wrong with you hormonally. There's nothing that conventional medicine in the community can do for you at this point, Mm -hmm. or you should see a sex therapist. So how do you begin that conversation when low libido is the condition of concern? And when I talk to patients, I usually try to break things down so that they're on like the third grade level so we can all understand. Mm -hmm. And I usually define libido in terms of interest in sex or the sexual appetite. Mm -hmm. So talk to us about how you begin that conversation when a woman or one of your clients have low libido. Yeah. So sometimes what what happens when they, you know, when I'm talking to them, I want to find out what's going on, like what's, Mm-hmm. What's happening? Because sometimes right. like they'll come in, a couple will come in and they're just like, she doesn't want to have sex. And she's saying, right. you know, yeah, my libido's kind of low. And I asked them like, so is your, so for in sexology, one of the things we talk about with libido is desire. And that's your, um, your sexual satisfaction. Like, are you enjoying it? Okay. <clears throat> so right. as you're ta- as I'm talking to women, I'm asking that question to find out, like, are you even enjoying sex at all? And, and, that tells me a lot because sometimes the desire or the low libido is because the sex just isn't satisfying. And so, you know, when I, when I've talked to, um, the, you know, if I talk to their partner and they tell me, you know, if we, if we talk together and you talk to the, the woman by herself and she's like, there's not enough foreplay or, mm. um, he, he seems to ejaculate really fast. And so okay. I, I'm just not, like I don't want to get excited for that. Like I'm, I'm, you know, I want to be with them, but by the time he, you know, we're in bed and he gets his pants off, he's already coming. Like that's not right. fun for me. So I'm not excited. revving up while one is already literally coming back. Yeah, one's got done, it. and I'm like, okay, I just got my bra off, which you know he's done. <laughs> um, and so that's not, you know, so you're not, you don't get excited for that. It could right. be stress related. Um, things are okay. going on at work We're you know, we're in coronavirus. There's kids in the house. There's grandkids in the house. There's, you know, mm-hmm. there's all this stuff. Grandparents in the house. There's all these people around. It could be just stuff. Like I had a couple that right. told me, um, <clears throat> we were, we were virtual. And I remember her saying to me, she said, I know you can't see it right now. She said, but there are, there's laundry all over this room. There is nothing sexy about that. Sexy, about <laughs> that. no, and so no. it's those little things, especially for women, that maybe men are like, I could do it in a pile of mess, <laughs> right? But, no. but the woman is like, yes. Oh, I uh-uh. can't do this. This is, I, you know, they no. just can't seem to focus. And so, some of it right. just comes from life, it's just there's a lot happening, yeah. and, you know, environment, environment literally, what's going on in the environment that you're choosing to have sex yeah. in. So some of it is yeah. just that. Some of it could be, um, it could be, it could be hormonal. Like I know you mentioned that. Okay. I mean, it could be hormonal. Yeah. She's going through menopause. She's on a period. Um, she and there may be illness. Like there may be just a physical illness that's going on. There right. may be um, uh, vaginal dryness. It could be vaginal mm-hmm. pain. And so I, yeah. so absent of all that, like once you've gotten physically checked out. Um, and I'll, mm-hmm. and I'll tell a woman that like you, like if it's none of these other things, you should definitely go to the doctor yeah. and get checked out because it could be something physical. Once we know that that's right. not the issue, then we could deal with it. And sometimes like people will leave things out. It's so funny. Like people will pay for, for coaching and counseling and therapy and they'll come over and, and tell you everything and they lie. I'm like, you lie. <laughs> and so, Lies. And, uh, 
and you can so see it. I'm like, like, you're not telling me the whole For real. Like, and so tell me, tell me what's really, I can't help you if you come in and you leave things out. Like they don't, I don't think they lie right. to me. I think they leave things out. That's that, lying. Because it's not helping you do your yeah. job. It's either lie by omission or That's lie true. by commission. Yeah, and it's still the same omission. thing. It's like, yeah, it's lying. You. Yeah. If you don't tell me that he had an affair or she had an affair and that's the problem. Right. Like this is what's really the root of the issue. She didn't trust you. Yeah, <laughs> like, right. There's trust, trust issues, issues right. And I think that's, I mean, you bring up a good point and it does happen a lot, a lot. Um, even when it's not sex is not the topic where, you know, you're thinking that something's wrong. You're trying to get to the bottom of something. And you've asked all the questions, either questions have been partially answered or not answered truthfully. And so you're like, okay, that's not it. That's not it. That's not it. And three or four appointments later, you're finding out, oh, yeah, by the way, I did tell you that that wasn't happening. But, yeah, that's been going on for the last 10 years. And that can be so irritating because you're like, you spent a lot of extra time leading me down a lane that we could have addressed this like a couple of sessions ago. And... But here we are now. And I think that, again, still comes down to not having, even with a sexologist or a sex therapist, having an honest conversation about sex. And for whatever reason, not being open and fluid. And I think trust may be a, a bigger picture in that. And just even having that trust with your therapist um, or your sexologist could, again, co contribute to not getting the results that one desires because it is hard to talk about. Very hard it, to talk about. There's so much shame around it. Like there's, yes, and I think shame. that's where the shame keeps creeping back in. Like if yeah. you, if you, if you're in a, if you're in a relationship and your partner cheated on you and you stayed, mm -hmm. there's a lot of shame that goes around there. Like I yeah. should have left. I don't know why I'm here. I'm mm -hmm. still doing, you know, or or, or is she, here she going to do it again? Or am I stupid? Or am I silly? Or why am I still here when yeah. that you know that part was and that whole questioning and not ne necessarily trusting yourself in the relationship, even mm -hmm. if it doesn't ever happen again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. So they start picking at little things that don't matter. Like they just start picking little incidences out. And I'm like, okay, I hear you, but that's a symptom. Like what's the root that's right. going on here? Cause you're just telling me like little things. And I know this isn't what's, you know, what's really going on. Right. Right. <laughs> asking you're right. You find out you're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. And, this, <laughs> and sometimes, and I guess when, in terms of establishing a relationship and rapport with your provider, your practitioner, your therapist, your sexologist, it does take time to open that gate of trust. And especially if so many walls have been built up inside the relationship, even talking about that can be challenging. So I can, I can definitely understand that. Um, as we talked, we mentioned, you mentioned some other terms, one we're going to get to a little bit later on. But there are other terms that we often conflate um, or confuse with libido. Mm -hmm. How do conditions where arousal is the predominant concern factor into your conversations? And again, when we're talking clinically about arousal, we're talking about the physical response to the sexual stimuli. So how, talk to us about arousal. Yeah, so that's, uh, yes, and that's exactly what arousal is. So you can have, you can be aroused and not, uh, you can be aroused and not have the libido and vice versa. Right. And so, um, and we, I, you often hear this when we talk about um, victims of sexual assault, that right. maybe they, like they feel, they, they really feel bad because maybe they got wet and mm -hmm. they felt aroused by it, but this still, this wasn't a desire to be raped. Right. So, um, so for some clients, like just understanding like, yeah, you can be aroused. And for some couples, 
they need um, what they call uh, spontaneous, spontaneous and responsive desire. So sometimes people mm-hmm. just, they're just like, I'm horny. I want to do it. Right. Okay. <laughs> and, and I okay. want to take care of that need. For some people, they have to have some type of foreplay or something. They're not really aroused yet, but if okay. they're, you know, if you can get them in the mood and it's like, okay, I'm, I'm in the mood now. Like I need. Say I those terms again. Feel that. Say those terms again. It's responsive desire is like that. Responsive desire is when something happens and then you're in the mood as opposed okay. to um, spontaneous desire where you're just like, I'm always in the mood. <laughs> I'm, I'm always got it. Okay, like that doesn't necessarily have to be a stimulus. Yeah, so you don't speak. Know, yeah, you don't need necessarily right. a stimulus. And for gotcha. some people, there's um, there's a book, and I'll send you the link. It's um uh, by Emily Nagasi. It's called okay. Nagasi. It's called Come as You Are, and she talks about the she she equates it to uh, your brakes and your gas pedal in your car. And so okay. there's some things in your life, for, and it's different for everybody that are like the brakes, and it could be anything from there's laundry on the floor. You cheated on me last month. Um, you know, I, I just, I'm tired, whatever. And those things right. are your breaks. And then there's other things that get you excited and get you going. And so that could be the kissing, the holding, the, it could be oral sex. It could be whatever. And what you really want, if you want to have this, this sex life is you got to make sure that there's more stuff on the gas side going mm-hmm. and, you know, lowering the inhibitions and the things that the breaks. Right. And so, you know, um, making sure that they teeter this way, <laughs> this is where you want to Right. Go. But if it's more of this, more breaks, uh-huh. then that's, that's what happens. You, you kind of sometimes slowly, maybe quickly fall into this sexless relationship because there's all these things that are inhibiting you from just inhibiting factors. Gotcha. Yeah. And I mean, those all make sense. And again, you mentioned pleasure, Mm -hmm. which literally is the measure of one's sexual well-being reflected in orgasm. So how do you approach orgasm or lack thereof? Because you can have libido, but not have orgasm and on both sides of the equation. Yeah. So that, um, yeah, when you when you were mentioning that there's women that don't really understand their body and where the clitoris is, and I have definitely met women who have never had an orgasm. I'm like, oh, yeah, terrible. yeah, um, and so or don't know or don't know. They're like, I'm not sure if I have, yeah. and I'm like, then you have, then you not. have not. Then you have not. <laughs> you, have it. Um, you would know, and so you would you would you know. know. <laughs> so for for women especially. Um, when it comes to to pleasure, I do encourage them to get a hand mirror and a good light mm-hmm. and look at yourself. Yeah, spread the light. Same thing. And look at yourself. I do the same thing. Yeah. And you know, women are like, "What?" I mean, I, you know, you're like, "Are you serious?" Yeah. Yes. You need to know I because am. our parts aren't outside of us like men's are. You know, men can right. look at it all day. They they probably do. I don't know. <laughs> It's right. Like, it seems like they do. they're taking pictures of it and sending it to random people. Right. <laughs> so. I still don't even understand like to this day. And I, again, even in the, like, I understand things, different things turn on different people. I still don't understand how, and my friends tell me like, Oh no, he sent me a dick pic. And I was like, wait, that like someone that you were met online, like you've never met them in person before. And like, I don't understand like how that is, Okay. how that, how one expects that to be the the thing like we haven't even met in real life and you like you think that was the move and apparently that's a common it's thing common. that people 
due to, I guess, inspire arousal or desire. And I have not quite, maybe in my older brain, wrapped my mind around how that is the thing that is so common that it, I can't, I can't quite understand it. And and again, I can't quite figure out how one would want to start a relationship. You haven't even met this person and you want to send them a dick pic to like, and I'm like, I'm trying to figure out, okay, where do you think the relationship is going after that? Because one of two things can happen. Yeah. I don't don't understand. Like, I don't know. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I was like, how do you respond to that? Like, I don't, I don't know what to do with that. Like I I can't, I can't quite understand it, but it's apparently a thing, but I have yet to meet a woman was a woman, whether in relationship or out or getting to know someone who was like, that's the thing I was waiting for. That's what I was looking for. That's what I was waiting for. And I'm like, cause does that work on anybody? Cause I'm really trying to figure out like, is it me? Like, or I think that, am I off? But I'm not one of my friends, not one of any, you know, anybody that I know. It's like, that's what I was waiting for. Like it took him three days. Right. Or it took him however long that I was waiting for that. No, like who, do, who does that? And I'm like, do guys really think that's the thing? Like, and apparently they do cause too many of them do it, but yeah. And it's, and it's, and it happens. So in there was when we talked about um, we were talking about orgasm, a lot of women don't even and men. And I guess this is goes to my previous uh, another previous question. Do you see your clients as couples or do you see them as individuals? Both in terms of like in terms of appointments. OK, got it. I see them as both. So sometimes okay. I, see, um, I see them together because okay. they want to come together. Okay. What I'm starting to do now, and I, I think I'm going to continue this, is to see them together and then separately because I okay. hear very different stories. I'm sure. <laughs> I am so sure. Together. Especially the reason, the rationale, and all the things in between. I'm yeah. sure they're very different perspectives yeah. and reasons why they believe as a couple they are where they are mm-hmm. and why. So, yeah, it was. it's interesting to see if that was like part of the overall the overall conversation if the things change when they're talking together with you yeah. or if they're talking to you um not um not with their partner but with someone else, uh, by you with you by themselves yeah. that's very interesting yeah. so i don't think we've talked about erotic script and my patients immediately jump to thoughts of porn and trashy novels mm-hmm. and hustler and playboy magazines mm-hmm. and a lot of times, I believe this does play a large role in both the male and female um, concept of sexual dysfunction. Mm-hmm. And when I think of erotic script outside of those, that immediate thought, I think about the combination of thoughts and beliefs and past experiences mm-hmm. and feelings about sex and sexuality and turn-ons that comprise that internal messaging that continuously plays in one's own mind and in their body as well. Do you explore those messages about sex that your clients receive as children from their family, from their friends, from their faith community? Um, and of course the internet, I know we talked about that um, earlier on, but explore that a little bit more. Yeah, I do. So, so one of the things that, that I do as a sex coach and counselor is as a coach, you tend to deal with where they are right now and then where they want to be in therapy. Okay. They tend to deal with where they, what their past and then up to where they are now. Okay, so gotcha. there's not one that's better than the other. It's just depending on, you know, what you want. Right. Right. Um, 
So when I'm working with people, I do go a little bit in the past. I do want to find out like how did they get to where they are? What are their beliefs? And so they, I have my clients fill out an intake form. And I do ask them things like, when was the first time you had sex? When was the first time you masturbated? When was the last time you um, masturbated? When was the last time you had an orgasm? Um, I do want to know, like, what was their their sexual history? And, um, like, who have they been with? And not, not, like, I don't want to list, but I mean, like. Right, yeah. (laughs) But whether they, I mean, whether they've been with men and women or, you know, those different things, because those can affect, again, what their overall sexual history and story is and how it manifests in their current situation. So I think those distinctions are important. Yeah. How do you even feel about their masculinity or femininity means? I'll Mm -hmm. ask those questions. So I do touch on that a little bit because I like to see, what I'm working with and what kind of belief system is going on there because, right. uh, and, and you, cause you just need to know like, what do I, what am I need? What do I need to break through here? Right. Um, mm-hmm. because sometimes people just come and they're like, I just want to learn some new tips. And then you right. sit down with them and you're like, no, we got, <laughs> we got a lot of things to get through. Really get the slow down, Slim, uh, slow down, Slim. Um, and so that's, that's, you know, so I do like to find that out and, and learn a little bit about what their history is, but I don't go way back. Like I'm not, right. I'm not, not back into like, so when was the first time that kind of thing? Okay. Got it. And you, and that was a good distinction to make between sex therapy and sexology, because I feel like there is a desire that couples may want and may need. Mm -hmm. And I feel sometimes women like to have that conversation more so than men do Mm -hmm. in terms of let's get to the root of this. Like, why is this happening? Why am I responding this way? Men are more in my experience. They want to know like, well, how can I get this changed now? Like, why is this not working now? It doesn't really for them and not necessarily super important how I got here, but how can we fix it versus when we're like, well, why am I feeling this way? How do I undo this? And what, when did this all begin? And they're more willing to talk one-on-one than men are in my experience, but yeah, that's important. So I think we did briefly touch on intimacy and intimacy is that very intimate part of the relationship itself, that relationship component, and not just intimacy with the partner, but also intimacy with self. So talk to us about how intimacy plays into the sex conversation. Yeah, I get this. I do get this, um, especially from couples uh, quite a bit where they're trying to figure out like, what can I do to be closer to my partner? Because that's what they're Mm -hmm. looking for. And it, it may be sexual, but most often it's not. They're trying to figure out, like, how do I get that that closeness with my partner that I don't have with anybody else? Right. And so um, one of the things, and I'm, I'm putting a class together for this, but one of the things I, I like to talk with couples about is um, taking, one is expanding their definition of sex. Okay. And making it more about pleasure. Okay. And making it less about penis and vagina sex, mm. especially if that person is having difficulty with erections or early ejaculation or pain in the vulva. I want to take that out because because it takes the pressure off of everybody. Like, okay. I'm not asking you to have sex. I'm not asking you to come. I'm not asking you to get an erection. I'm asking you to relax and experience pleasure. Okay. And so for the woman I'm, I'm working on, and this is uh, this is a thing that, um, you can do it's called um, 
we actually call it pussy massage, but you can call it this vulva massage, yoni massage. It has all kinds of names. Okay. But what, and is this for what, her to do for herself? She or can do partner? it for herself, but for in, for intimacy, okay. for the couple, I like for the guy or the her partner to do it to her. Okay, to her. Got it. And so what you do is you take, um, there's about 15, 20 different massages that you do. But what okay. you're going to do is take some olive, some, uh, not olive oil, coconut oil, sorry, coconut okay. oil. Um, you can use olive oil could, as well. You could use olive oil. Some women are allergic to coconut oil. So olive oil, just basic, basic olive oil, oil that you use to cook with is, is safe, too. safe too. But I know some women are allergic to coconut oil. Okay. So we switch that up yeah. to olive oil. <laughs> <laughs> I've also heard jojoba oil is good. That's the other one. Yes, as well. Yep. Um, so you want to take a nice oil. You want to warm it up. And then you just, like in the beginning, just kind of cup your hand over her vulva and just kind of just feel that the warmth that's there. You just kind of lay it, lay it there and then lay it on her heart or right, you know, like right here in the middle. And that okay. builds some intimacy because you're going to be kind of looking at your partners. Uh, you know, one, you're doing something that normally doesn't happen. That probably has not been done before. <laughs> like nobody does that. No um, one has probably ever done that before. Yeah, so, yeah, you know, that's already intimate. Yes. yes. And so you, you do that. You can give massage, erotic massage or tantric massage. Any of that is really good to build intimacy because, again, it's things that no one usually does for you. Right. Um, the eye gazing is, is a part of Tantra. I don't know a ton about Tantra. I'm learning about it. That's one of the things I'm, I'm okay. learning. So I don't want to be a Tantra. I, don't, I can't say I'm a Tantra expert right now. But one of the things okay. I learned okay. about is, is the eye gazing part and just kind of looking in your partner's eyes and, and matching your breath to theirs. Again, it's stuff that you don't do normally with other people. And so, um, right. so those are some of the things I talk with partners about as far as building intimacy as well as communication. So mm -hmm. um, sometimes, so the other thing I do in communication is um, I have different worksheets sometimes that I'll give them, but sometimes it's just a, uh, I have a yes, no, maybe fantasy list. Okay. And what happens is each couple takes one of those sheets. It lists, a, you know, 30, 40 different things that you can do. So it'd be, you know, it might be oral sex, nipple play, um, you know, penis and vagina sex, anal sex. They don't have like a whole list of stuff on there. And so right. each partner will check whether, yes, they like to do that and whether they want to be the giver or the receiver. Okay. And then any comments they have about it. And then okay. uh, it may be, they could check maybe and in fantasy might be, you know, you know, I've always wanted a threesome, but maybe that stays in the fantasy realm. You know, maybe okay. I've thought about anal sex, but it's in the fantasy realm. I don't really want to explore it just yet. And then you come okay. back together and you share it and you'll find out like, oh, okay. They're totally opposed to this. You like this too. Like okay. This too. I didn't know that. And because we just don't talk because you, you don't, you know, you don't, you normally don't get up at breakfast over bacon and eggs and go, you know what? I really like you put a ball gag in my mouth tonight. And we just don't have those kind of conversations. And so when do you bring it up? Right? When is the time to bring that up? Over yeah. breakfast or over dinner? Right. That is that. What it, when is the time yeah, to bring that up? What meal is appropriate to bring up? ball gag yeah. that that is a great question and yeah. I think you when do we bring yeah. that up that is then and I think when you said that there's already these pre I guess filled forms sometimes that takes the pressure off mm -hmm. of initiating the question 
versus, okay, this is something I'm interested in, but I don't want you to think that I'm weird or a freak or wild or anything else or scary. And now (laughs) it's like, whoa, now ever we're retreating versus like, I'm just filling out a questionnaire. I mean, these are one of the questions. So I'm just going to answer honestly, whatever happens, happens. So that's also, I mean, again, thinking about it that way, a good way to open up the conversation without having to initiate it. Yeah. We're just filling out a questionnaire yeah. and this is what's on it's the questions question. and I'm just answering them. I, I mean, I didn't come up with this. It just happened to be here. So <laughs> I think that's, again, a good way to initiate. It just happened to be on this form and I, I mean, we got to answer it, right? I mean, we've got to do the assignment. So I think that's a good way to bring some things up that aren't readily able to be initiated. And I think, again, these are the ways to get the conversation started creatively without necessarily having to the onus of, I have to initiate this. I have to ask this uncomfortable question because it does kind of put potentially the other partner on the defensive. How do I answer this question? If I answered in the affirmative, is this a trick? Like if I answer, yes, I'm interested. Does that mean we're going to do it tomorrow? If I answer no, does that mean make me a prude? If I, you know, how do we navigate this? So I think this is good and it's good to have an, like an arbiter in there to try to help navigate this because even if you get these answers to that quiz, now what do we do? Yeah. How do we and move I, forward? I do, and you know, that one, <laughs> I am there for, which is funny that I'm not there right. for the other one, which is, so I'm going to start being there for the other one. Cause I actually yeah. do this one in a workshop that I call pleasure okay. mapping where I work pleasure, with pleasure mapping. It's called pleasure mapping workshop. Okay. Got it. And so uh-huh. I actually do that exercise in there and uh, there's another part in there that also, I think it, I think it builds intimacy. I, I should, I need to talk with the couples to see, but what in that, in that, um, in that exercise, I use a product It's called the graphic sex project It's by a woman, woman named Jennifer Beeman. And okay. she uses, it's really, it's really cool. She uses um, different color blocks to indicate, it can indicate whatever you want. And the person will kind of build out an art installation, if they will, to kind of describe their sex life. So it's, it's, um, it's hard to, yeah. Yeah. I was like, explain, explain that. So what happens when I work with them is they have, they have a whiteboard, um, when we're in person, they have a whiteboard. I have one online too, but they have it in person and they get all these different color blocks. And so what I often do is ask them to describe, like map, draw, show me a sexual experience that you did not enjoy. And so they'll okay. put down like whatever that, so they may say, okay, green is oral sex and red was intercourse. Um, mm-hmm. Pink was kissing, you know, black was, you know, anal sex, whatever. Right. Okay. So they'll they'll kind of, what they'll do is they'll put those blocks in there a certain way to show mm-hmm. like there was a whole lot of you know a whole lot of oral sex that I didn't really want to do really or there was a whole lot of like nipple tugging and I hated that mm-hmm. and so they'll kind of they'll kind of graph that out and then okay. I'll ask them to show me an ideal experience and then they'll, oh. they'll do that one as well and so sometimes like what I'll find especially with uh, with women is that they'll do the one they don't like rarely has orgasm in it Wow. They will usually do one and there's a, there's a lot of like, there's a lot of oral sex on the guy. There's very little foreplay, very little kissing. Um, depending on if the guy wow. is, a, is a breast guy or not, there's like a whole lot of that and they don't like it. There's yeah. no orgasm. And then when they show me one that they, that their ideal experience is completely 
completely different. It's like music and candles and, you know, it's like all this foreplay. It's like three, four orgasms in there. There's all sex on them. Like it's just a totally different experience. And so that when they have that and they share it with their partner, they can say like, this is what I really like. And it's a way to graph it out. So you're not even saying like, you know, the last time we had sex, you did this, 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 and this wrong. It's like, this is what I really want. I really want this experience. And I think a part of that, just like you mentioned, one is being graphed out, not with words, Mm -hmm. but almost in a pictograph sort of way. Right. And so it's not offensive. Like, okay, this is representative of such. There's not really a lot of words, so but you can see a visual mm-hmm. picture. And focusing on what I do like or what the woman does like or what the partner likes versus what you want to give yeah. and how you want to receive. And I think that kind of goes back into the bigger picture of love languages and that a lot of times people give what they want, mm-hmm. but not necessarily give what their partner wants and how mm-hmm. and when. And that's a part of intimacy. And a lot of times I tell my patients, when you think of the word intimacy, break it up into in to me see, Mm -hmm. like you're trying to see what's inside the person, not just and allowing that person to see what's inside of you in terms of your wants, your needs and desires. And sometimes that can be scary Mm -hmm. and letting that overall pictograph come to life. Yeah. Sometimes women do that. We do that in our heads and it's already there. We can see it. We've dreamt about it. We've thought about it. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're, you know, the, the goal is mm-hmm. men are visual sometimes more often than women. And they see, you know, a naked body or just, you know, a silhouette and that can be, that can get them to where they want to mm-hmm. be. So I think sometimes that's very important in terms of kind of making sure where both partners are and then knowing what that other partner wants, needs and desires from that sexual experience. Mm-hmm. Yep. So we talked about, now we've talked about intimacy. We've talked about pleasure. We've talked about erotic script. We've talked about libido. So we talk, mentioned desire early on mm-hmm. and that combination of how libido and erotic script and intimacy all tie together. And oftentimes we think of desire as a basic emotion when it's actually like that combination of motivation and interest. So how does desire overall fit into this sex equation? It can be interesting because, again, you know, like the person might have desire but just not be aroused. And so right, um, it's nice if they both work together. Like that's the that's the ultimate is that you're like, oh, I, I want this person and I'm, I'm aroused enough to also be with them. But that doesn't always yeah. work that way. Um, okay. And so in those cases, we have to, sometimes you got to you got to get there. And so sometimes it's like, I don't really, not really desiring this person, but maybe once they start kissing you or they're playful, they're flirty, especially if you do it throughout the day. Like sometimes I think like when I said, you know, I want to expand that definition of sex beyond, you know, what you're doing in the bedroom, penis and vagina sex. And, And to think about foreplay is a part of that. It's not like a separate entity. And I think that's what happens, Yeah, but it's the stuff that you're doing all day. Like, 
Are you sexting your your mate? Do you send them something nice? Are you, um, you know, whatever, like you said, the love language, like whatever their love language is, if they happen to be somebody and their love language is, um, is gifts, then, you know, are you, you know, maybe they like flowers during the day. Maybe they would love for you to, um, you know, to send them something, you know, a candy bar. Like it doesn't even have to be big. Like, you, know, you just know that they like that and you send it to them. That can get things going to the place where they're like, okay, yeah, I want to, you know, I'm, I'm excited by this. And by the time you get home, they are aroused or wherever you get to, they're aroused. Yeah. But if you just kind of walk in the door and nothing's been going on all day, and then you're just like, hey, I'm here. <laughs> you know? yeah. Saddle up, Roy. Yeah, like, <laughs> I'm not in the mood. There's laundry all over the floor. So, you know? mm-hmm. um, And there's dishes in the sink, in the and the kids have to be put to bed and everything else. And that's a prime. Yeah, all of those things. This is a prime time to say, okay, you know, there are dishes in the sink. Let me do the dishes while you're putting the baby down. So that's like, you know, that's eliminating a chore or a task that has to be done or, you know, vice versa. It's been a long day. Couples now, both most of the time, a lot of couples, both of them are working. So, you know, being tired is a thing. It is real and it can oftentimes supplant sexual activity. And I think that's when the creative creativity comes in to, you know, not just address the stressful aspects of the day, but how to use that foreplay as a way to lead in as a stress reliever in terms of addressing both partners' needs and wants. I'll I'll tell clients sometimes, like, you know, especially if you've been, we've not been having sex for a while um, and nothing's physically wrong, that what you might want to consider doing is unsexy and unromantic as people may think this is, is to schedule it. And so just say mm-hmm. Thursday night, nine o'clock is me and you. We figure out the babysitter right. or if we need one, like most, most of mm-hmm. my friends don't need one. We got kids. But you know, we'll figure that out and make that time for each other and say, okay, this is our time. Maybe we get a hotel that night. Maybe we, um, right. you know, we go out to dinner. We have a, you know, we do something we haven't done in a while. We go dancing, you know, whenever right. we could do that again. We'll go to a movie. And so you do something that's just the two of you, but you can also plan it. And that gets, that can get you excited. Like, okay, Thursday night, we're doing this. Let me get my nurses outfit out. Let me get my hands on. You know, let, right. me, let me get ready. You know? and that can, that can right. get you excited in a way that just hoping it'll happen and it not happening will. Because yeah. I think it's too many too many times we think it's supposed to just be spontaneous. Like, oh, I just always am in the mood. And when he shows up, his skin is glistening and my hair is blowing in the wind like Beyonce and everything is amazing. I want my hair to blow in the wind. <laughs> That's always my dream. <laughs> doesn't necessarily have to exclude the fan and the hair blowing. I mean, that could be part of it. Right. <laughs> but, you know, right. We, we think it's going to be like that and just be amazing all the time without having to put in any work and that's just not reality that happens on sitcoms and rom-coms and movies in real life and it doesn't happen that way all the time you need to go buy some lingerie you need to you know wash the dishes like you need to to realize right something (laughs) yes 
find out what the foreplay is for you. And it may be a clean sink. It may be like new sheets. It may be, you know, new smells. It may be just anything that you're like, that's going to take the pressure off of having to one more thing to think about. That's not your sexual relationship. And I think that's, that's so very important. One aspect of sex that we haven't talked about. And a lot of times we don't talk about it with inside of relationships or inside of partnerships is consent. And it is a hot button topic, whether you're single or married man or woman. And does consent come up in sexology, especially when there might be some sex issues? Is that ever a topic that comes up that could be one of the underlying causes? Yes, I think it's I think it's very important to talk about consent. And this is this goes back to your very first question, like how has sex changed over the years? I think in the nineties and probably mm-hmm. before we never thought about consent. Like you showed up and you know if right. I bought you dinner, we were you know, you you was <laughs> it was automatic. Yeah you that were you were getting some. some. And so now mm-hmm. um I like the fact that it is there's there is more talk about consent and, you know, do I want to be here? Do I want to right. do this? Um, uh, and, and letting that person know, like, yeah, I could be right in the middle of it and change my mind and it just needs to stop. Like I'm not giving consent to go past this. Right. So I do like that, yeah. that that's happening or that it's out there. I don't, I still don't know how comfortable people are with, with saying it, especially I would say our generation, like mm. Gen X up because yeah. we we tend to feel guilty like oh i got here i did tell him you know and we might go through with it like we might end up going through and just like you yeah. know as i say star fishing it out we're just like i'm saying and then he'll be done but um because we yeah. feel bad about saying no but i think it's really important to talk about consent and to put out there what what that yeah. means for you in any situation, because it could be, you know, maybe we're having sex and I'm enjoying everything, but all of a sudden you call me bitch in the middle of it. <laughs> yeah. We might have a problem with that. Um, all of a sudden you whip yeah. out a paddle and spank me hard. I'm like, what just happened? You know, so just even just those mm-hmm. kind of things, um, even in the middle of, you know, if you if you are in a BDSM and they always talk about having a, a safe word, even a safe that, word, right. or having a safe tap, a nod or something, because maybe you're in the middle of oral sex mm-hmm. and you can't talk, you need to have something to say, right. you know, get off. <laughs> you know, you're like, yeah. I mean, maybe you're into asphyxiation and yeah, you can't necessarily yeah. articulate you to, that. You do need to yeah. establish that. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think of consent even beyond just like, yes, no, before we have sex, but even in the right. middle of it, even when I'm with you, I'm not going to call the police and say you raped me. But what I also don't want is for you to like beat me to death with this paddle. Like, that's right. Or go past the yeah. place that I do feel safe. Even if I've consented to something that was previously I consented too in terms of, yes, I agree. I want to explore this. I want to try this. I want to do this. And I get to a point in the thing that I consented to previously that all of a sudden it's either not what I want or not what I anticipated or all of a sudden it's just not feeling good. And how to, I guess, retract that consent in a safe way so that no one feels like anything went wrong, but it could have the potential to. And at that moment in that place in time, 
Yeah. No means no. And again, I think this is yeah. where I, and when I talk to my friends, especially in the polyamorous community, because they communicate, this is those things, these are those things that I think as cisgender and heterosexuals, we don't talk about. And we're all of a sudden we're in the middle of it and we're yeah. like, oh, that was terrible. And so then what we do, we get together with our friends over brunch. We're like, you know, he did. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> Guess what? Oh my damn. Like, this is what happened. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like we, ha- yeah, we have more of those conversations. And anybody who's not your partner yeah. can't remedy it. But we're having really open, candid conversations yeah. kind of with each other in our sister circles and our brunches and our wine time. But when it comes down, like, but none of your friends can address the thing that happened in that last encounter. But we're not having those open conversations with partners in the same way we have with our friends. And I do believe that even though I think men and women talk differently, I think they're having conversations, but they're having them outside of the Mm -hmm. partnership. And it's like you may be getting feedback from, like you said, people who are still not getting that same response from their partners or what was working in their relationship might not be working in yours and vice versa. And you're still getting some kind of broken responses to things that they can't fix, but your partner can, but that candid conversation isn't happening in the partnership. And cause I know for sure, I definitely talk with my friends about stuff in general, not necessarily stuff that's happening with my partner, but stuff in general. And like, you know, on both sides, it's like I'm when it's, you know, they're coming to us and we're talking openly. Everyone's full of advice. Like you should do this or I wouldn't allow him to do that. Or I can't believe he did this. But at the same time, like they're not in your relationship. Exactly. So like they're everyone's offering advice, but the person that can respond and engage in the same conversation in a fun way, in a funny way and every other way we're not talking to. And I find that that happens way, uh, way more often than not. And it always puzzles me. Like we can definitely talk to our girlfriends and I'm sure guys talk to their friends as well, but we're not talking to the person who can actually affect real change. Mm -hmm. And I think that still puzzles me in general, but I guess there's, again, there's so many different layers to it in terms of talking to your partner about things versus actually talking about it with, with other people who aren't necessarily invested. This has been a great conversation. So, Let's talk about resources that you recommend for our listeners who desire to explore and learn more, whether about sexology, sex therapy, or just more about some of the terms that we talked about. What resources would you recommend? Oh, there's so many. Um, <laughs> there's so much good stuff out there. So what the book I mentioned earlier by Emily Nagoski mm-hmm. uh, is Come As You Are. Okay. I recommend that men and women read that. I think it's a really good book that explains uh, primarily how desire works and how people process it. But then, you know, to understand, like, you can't have all of these, these things happening and inhibit them right. and expect like the sex to be amazing or right. happen at all. <laughs> so right. I think that's a really good one. Um, I'm re- I've been reading this book that I really enjoyed. It's called the ultimate, it's called I can the ultimate guide to seduction and foreplay. Okay. It's by uh, Dr. Jessica O'Reilly and Marla Renee Stewart. And okay. um, it's really, I really like this book because it's talking about seduction and foreplay. It's not necessarily about sex, but it's about seduction and foreplay. Like, what can I, how do I talk to my partner um, using all of the senses to, to get and uh-huh. really make sex great? Like, 
um, you know, we can often limit ourselves. And so like the site, again, what does the room look like? What does the space look like? How can we make it, how can we make it more sex friendly? Whatever that means. Mm-hmm. Is it the fabric? Is it the sheets? Like you mentioned, right. should I have stuff on the wall? You know, things like that. The smells, should there be candles? Um, uh, the feel of things, like what's touching you. I, I heard a lady say the other day, I was at a conference and I was like, oh, I love that idea. She said, I have, a, I keep a crock pot next to my bed of just warm towels. And I was like, oh, I thought you were going to say about warm food. I was like, now that oh, no, no. food can be a turn on. I was like, now that, now that I never thought about a crock pot of food by the bedside. <laughs> Now that could, I like, I would, I like you see, you see where I went. I was like, I'm, like, you see, I'm a foodie at heart. And I'm like, now that <laughs> smells like food. Yeah. Now that could be, I never thought about that. You see where I went, but yes, a crock pot of warm tiles. Yeah. Go back to that. Yeah. Use warm tiles there. So after sex play, you can clean up. I was like, right. I really like that. Um, but you know, but the, but the touch and feel of things, the fabric, right. feathers, whatever, um, using like this, uh, this smell, so t- the taste, so you could have a pot mm-hmm. of food there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that, that's, that's probably where most people would insert food. I was like a crock pot of food by the bed. Yeah. Ain't that something? Now, that make your eat. <laughs> see, woo, you can see where my turn ons are. You got food ready? Okay. That means we don't have to waste a lot of time. But right, crock pot with the warm towels for cleanup. Got it. And the, the taste of things. It could be your partner's yes. skin. It could be uh, yes. their fluids. It could be, you know, you might decide to, to use flavored um, massage oil on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the, and then audible things. And so is there music playing in the background? Is yeah. Porn in the background. I mean, some people right. like that. So, I mean, so yeah. having all, like using all those senses, I really love, um, I just, I really like that book. I really like the ideas that she has. The other resource I would share is, um, oh gosh, it's just on my mind. Uh, send it to me. Okay, I'll send it to you. I'm sorry. I just yeah, me. <laughs> I'm sure it's good. I was like, I don't want to, I want to put it in the show notes, but yeah, don't I'll forget when it comes to you, it's, it'll be good. Yeah, yeah. But there's a lot okay. of books I can recommend um, that I think about like, oh, Pleasure Mechanics, that's the site. So there's a site Pleasure PleasureMechanics.com. Oh, okay. Got it. It's a website. Huh? It's a website. It's a website. Yes. Okay. And they have courses on there on foreplay and all kinds of things sexually related. I talk, I, I like to talk about foreplay a lot because sometimes couples get, they get, um, they get lost in the position thing. They get lost mm. like, we need new stuff to do. And so I like to right. do more foreplay seduction things because you can pretty much okay. go anywhere and find positions um to do and like 90 of the 90 percent of them you're gonna be like my leg doesn't do that my (laughs) right i mean i've seen those books and i was like what what age was that in yeah i was like because the last time i could make my body do that i was probably like um 14 i was like I don't know if that's going to be safe from right now because I was like, I'm at that stage where, you know, insurance has to kick in when things are catastrophic. And I feel like that might wind up being something that might be catastrophic for both of us. You know, we got co-pays and things to think about. And I think that might put me like I might meet my deductible but at the same time like we got to make sure hip sockets stay where they should exactly. be knees and everything else that's what you think about the same after, after right. days like they did when you were 
And I'm not sure I want that to pop out in effort to get to that position. Yes. Some of those things I'm like, how, how was, is that enjoyable? Even after you get there, how, how does that, how is that sustainable? But indeed, indeed. Well, that's good. That's wonderful. So Miss Renee, any parting words of wisdom in terms of how you as a sexologist views the overall sex experience, what couples can and may be able to do to enhance their sex lives and to maintain a sex life that is already in great shape? Yeah, so um, ooh, there's so much there, too. So, <laughs> <laughs> so one thing I recommend is to go to my website is the gen. It's the gen sexologist dot com. And I focus okay. um, on Gen Xers and baby boomers. So. Um, so my, all my, my content is around that. Like how do you experience orgasms and foreplay okay. and how you talk to your partner? And I've been, um, doing a series about sexist relationships on, uh, the, it won't be the first Sunday in July because that's, um, 4th of July, but the following Sunday, the 11th, of July, yeah. I'll be doing another series. Okay. So I want to talk about like medication side effects and those kind of things. And these are things that they could come up for you younger, but they're definitely coming up for a lot of people in our age right. bracket. So I definitely want to talk about yeah. that there. I'm at the Gen Sexologist. And then I also have a podcast. It's called the Gen okay. Sexy Podcast. It's Sundays at 10 a.m. And you can see all of that actually on my website. I'm at the Gen Sexologist. Okay, got it. And then, um, yeah, there's a lot of resources there. And I'll, I'll send you the link, too, because I have a whole thing on, like, how to talk to your partner about what you want in bed Okay, as a download so people can get that. Okay, sounds good. And I would say as parting words on my site, I have a section called uh, mission missionary statements. Okay. I and, like it. <laughs> That's and, cool. I like it. Thanks. And it's why I do this work. And so okay. I'll just share a couple of those as parting words. And so I say, um, I want to create a world of grown folks who are experiencing pleasure sexually, emotionally, and physically. Okay. Where we're comfortable enough to talk about sex and sexuality as easily as we discuss food in our jobs. Okay. Where sex isn't taboo, but treated as a normal, healthy part of being human. Mm-hmm. Where couples are brave enough to communicate, have fun, be adventurous and curious about trying new things. Okay. Where people know you are never too old to explore and enjoy sex where penis and vagina sex is not the only definition of sex. Mm -hmm. And finally, where people try new things, celebrate their differences and become the fullest expression of who they are sexually. And the last thing is um, I do this. One of the, there's a show called um, half the sky. I believe it's on Amazon prime right now. Okay. And it was on PBS. And so on this show, they talk about uh, this. They, they go, they take four celebrities and they go around the world. And it's all about um, educating women and kind of pulling them out of situations that they've been in prostitution and right. being sold into uh, sex slaves and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. There's one woman on the, on this show. Her name is Edna Adan and she's from Somaliland. She worked for the WHO, World Health Organization, for years. And when she retired, what she always wanted to do was to go back to her home and talk about female genital mutilation, where they sew up the vulva 
and just leave a little, just enough there to be able to pee. But it's killing women because when they have babies or even menstruate, it's so painful. And many of them end up dying, especially in childbirth. And they do this to keep women from being loose. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, they sometimes cut off the clitoris and they have a clitorectomy. And it's it's horrible. Women bleed out. It's terrible. Yeah. So she went back home and she started this hospital under a tree. Like when you see it, she's like, I started right there under that tree. Uh And people donated and um, gave money. They came over and helped. They built this hospital. And she her goal is to train 400 women to be midwives and to go out into the villages and teach other women about uh, female genital mutilation and to help convince them to not do it so they can have healthy babies. It only costs $400 to train a woman to be a midwife where she is. Wow. And so part of what I do is I donate money to help her do that. Because when I saw that, like of all the ones I saw, they were all moving. Hers right. was the one that made me want to get on a plane and like go over just there. Just go. And just, just go. Like, oh, yeah. Sell um, it all and just, just go. Yeah. Yeah. I just thought it was such a beautiful story. And she's 83 now. Oh, so wow. And she's still doing it. She's, she's yeah. just she's out there. It's her mission. And I love it. Yes. I love that she wants to, to teach this to women. So, um, so I That's do all beautiful. of this for a bigger purpose. Yes. Uh, I definitely want to help Gen Xers and baby boomers because I, sexuality is, is, is a part, it's a huge part of who, who we are. And yeah. we shouldn't be ashamed of it. It should be just, it should be just as natural as anything else. And I want right. us to not be ashamed of it. I want us to feel free to be who we are. And I also want to help her. Yes, I love that. That was beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. And again, I'm going to include all that information in the show notes because I do think that's a very honorable cause. And while simultaneously walking in your path and walking in your passion, you're helping somebody else walk in theirs. And I think that's a very important thing for us to do, not only as women, but as womenhood and womanism and definitely advancing each other so that we can all get to where we want to be. And I think that's very beautiful. It's very honorable. And I'm looking forward to participating as well. Thank Thank you so much for that inspiration. So thank you so much, Ms. Renee. It's been a pleasure. Um, I think we can talk about all these topics pretty much all day. Yeah. Um, But I'm very excited (laughs) about, um, I'm very excited about fear, desire, and love working that work, working that out in real life. And um, yeah, thanks for that. Thanks for that tidbit. That's going to be, that's good. So hopefully we'll see each other soon. And until we do. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's been fun. All right, then. Take care. Thanks. Thank you for listening and sharing your time with us. We hope you will join us for our next episode. Now, stick with us for one o'clock with Vino Blues' Wakia Henry. Hello, 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 everyone. It's Wakia again. It's one o'clock. Um, so I'm back again. We're going to sample some great wine. And um, tonight, I introduced um, from before, in the last episode, we introduced the McBride Sisters Sauvignon Blanc. Um, so we're going to, hopefully you all were able to um, grab your bottle from um, Total Wine so we can all taste it together. Um, if not, you know, I'm happy to try to describe it the best I can. Um, but the McBride Sisters, um, as I mentioned before, is a Black-owned winemaker. They're sisters, um, and they have um, 
they started making their own wines and I am here to enjoy it. Um, what we are trying to do um, as well is to support our black winemakers because you know, um, I'm also black and I'm in the wine industry and we're making our mark in the wine industry that was typically in the past known to be more a, of a, a male Caucasian type industry. So now we're bringing uh, a new face to the wine industry. We're trying to make it way more diverse. We have a lot more um, people that look like me in this wine industry and our aim is to support it all, to bring diversity, to um, open the palace of um, those that look like us um, so we all can enjoy wine. So it's a very, very um, fulfilling industry, a very fulfilling um, uh, niche, which is um, wine. And I've been enjoying it and I've tried to explore it and I tried to share it with you know, my family and friends and, and it's been great. So we, we want to support black wines because um, we wanted to advance in this, in this um, industry as well. So I hope you were able to get um, your McBride Sisters Black Wine. Tonight we're going to be sampling um, Sauvignon Blanc. I have, I have not um, been able to try any of their other wines because I've bought this one a couple of times. I did um, try this before and I loved it. So I wanted to share it with you guys. Um, and one, one of the many things I love about it is it's from the region of New Zealand, the country of New Zealand, and the Marlboro is the actual um, region it's from in New Zealand. And New Zealand is a place that has cool climate um, that's very perfect for this particular grape, Sauvignon Blanc. Um, Sauvignon Blanc is a white, dry wine. Um, however, it's very aromatic. Uh, which means you will probably taste a lot of fruit flavors. It'll make you think that it has a, a tad bit of sugar in it because of the, ar the aromatics in it. But however, um, it, it's no sugar added, but it has like your, your, your very um, fruity flavors and fruity aromas. Um, and then the colder the region is where these grapes are grown, you're going to get your, maybe your herbaceous um, notes. It's also, um, you have your green apples. They love to say that you get asparagus out of this um, wine um, and some wet seals. But when it starts to get a little warmer in the warmer regions or when it typically um, get like moderate, you're going to get more of your ripened grapes. And this is where you'll get all of those delicious gooseberries, elderflower. You'll taste some grapefruit in here as well. Um, some passion fruit, and you're going to have some herbaceousness. Um, and the warmer the region um, for this grape, um, similar to the Pinot Noir, because this grape ripens early, so we want to keep it in a region where um, it's not too hot, where it loses its flavor, um, where it can actually ripen at its own pace very slowly. Um, but if you get a good amount of sunlight, you'll get a great ripening in it. You get your fruity flavors. So when it's too in, this, in the warmer regions where, where it's too warm, they tend to um, add a second grape to this, um, this wine called Simeon. Um, the Simeon grape is a very high acid um, flavored grape, which adds to the Sauvignon Blanc to bring back that freshness that we're used to. So I think um, the McBride sisters have done a great job 
with um, getting that fruity flavor in their wine. So we're going to taste it tonight. Um, one thing I mentioned, guys, before is that we're going to rank. So I kind of mentioned I wanted to share you share with you all how to um, how to rank your wines. This will come in handy um, a lot a lot of ways, but definitely will come in handy when you're say you're out to eat at a restaurant and the you want to order some wine and they ask would you like to sample the wine first so this these techniques i'm going to share with you which are very simple will help you um from from that sample determine if that wine is something you want to take a full glass of okay so we're going to study it and the, the acronym for this is called blick this is something that we've that has been taught in the um, wine school, uh, particularly in WSET, which I've taken. Um, so BLIC acronym means balance, the length, the intensity, the intensity, and the complexity. So with balance, what we want to look for, right? Like I said with the Sauvignon Blanc, we're going to use Sauvignon Blanc as our example. With balance, you want to make sure that this wine we're getting ready to taste, all of the flavors and all of the notes all blend and mesh to go, get together, I'm sorry, um, perfectly. So we're looking for the fruitiness. We're looking to see if the acid is balanced. We're looking to see if the alcohol is balanced. And because it's the white wine tonight, we're not gonna have the tannins. But when we taste it, we wanna make sure that you know, does the alcohol stand out more than anything else in this wine where we can't really enjoy the fruity flavors? Or is it too acidy uh, where, you know, we can't even um, drink it because it's so tart in our mouth? Um, or, you know, are the fruits are just, you know, so pronounced it almost tastes like a sweet wine? So what we're looking for to have all of those things rounded up and balanced really well. The other, the L stands for the length. This is one of my favorite um, ways of ranking because I love to have um, a nice aftertaste in my mouth when I'm drinking wine. So we're going to look to see if after we have um, our first sip of wine, whether the great notes, the good notes of that wine, the fruits of that, of that wine kind of lingers a little bit in your mouth after you've tasted. Um, so when we taste tonight, we're going to actually make sure we get a good mouthful. We're going to slow down our, our drinking a little bit tonight um, for just one, one glass. You can enjoy it afterwards, but we're going to look for um, these different characters to help us rank. So we want to make sure we have a good mouthful um, in our mouth to, to kind of judge it a little bit or rank it, um, so to speak. Um, so the eyes are for the intensity. So we're looking for, is this wine, um, has the intensity in our, our our nose as well as our palate. So when we open um, these bottles of wine, can you smell it from afar? Um, can you get all the great aromas coming at you from afar? That's your nose, that's your intensity of your nose. And then when you get ready to have a sip of it, can you instantly taste those flavors, um, our aromas that we're looking for, the good flavors, the fruits and um, you know, if you love a great um, amount of acid in your mouth, is that, you know, what you're tasting in the wine. Um, and lastly is the complexity. This is the fourth thing we're going to be looking for when we're ranking. Um, so the complexity, the complexity of the wine is basically how many different aromas and flavors and goodness 
can you depict in this wine? So, you know, sometimes your first sip, um, you know, may not be all the aromas that you get right away. You go back to it and you take your second sip and you're like, oh, now I smell, I don't know, honey. Now I smell gray goose. Now I smell, um, sorry, um, gooseberry. Now I smell elderflower. Or, you know, you go back. So how many different aromas? Some, sometimes wine can make you feel nostalgic, right? So if you drink some wine and, you know, it reminds you of, you know, sitting outside in the pine woods or whatever, or you're sitting on the porch with grandma, and I can remember having that aroma in the air from the flowers, you know, all those things, if it can make you think, you know, more about um, that wine, then that wine is, has great complexity. And usually when a wine is that complex, you can pull out all types of notes. It really is an outstanding wine. Um, so these four things that we're looking, um, we're looking for in the wine. And we rank it based on um, the four things and how many of those things exist in that one glass of wine. So if it's one out of the four, then it will only be a very acceptable wine. So we may call it a simple wine. In the wine industry, we hate to say that there any, there's a such thing as a bad wine, um, but there are certain things as simple wine. So we may say that this wine is acceptable, it's simple, it doesn't have much character, you know, but I can still drink it, I can still enjoy it, you know. So um, if it's two of the four, we're considering that wine to be good. Still, you know, what's good for one person could be outstanding for another. So if that if you really like a wine and it only has four of those things and it's good enough for you to drink, you know, please enjoy it. Um, if it's three of those things um, out of the four, that wine is very good, right? So, and then of course, if it's all four, you're looking at very outstanding, um, outstanding glass of wine, a bottle of wine. So, um, that is just the levels of where we are going to be ranking the wine. However, um, for just drinking wine, you know, you never need to think about that stuff. You just drink it and enjoy it and, and have a great time. But because I want to help you all have a more of an experience with wine when we go um, to our restaurants and we, we can look foo-foo like we know what we're doing, you know, take our sip, we're going to be looking for these four things. And we're going to look like we're wine scholars, okay? So let's get into our McBride sister, um, Sauvignon Blanc, right? Um, one great thing about the Sauvignon Blanc, how they make their bottles, and I hope you're able to um, have your bottle with you, but if not, please pick it up. They're actually screw tops, so more wine um, makers are, are making their wines with screw tops now instead of the cork. Uh, it has added benefits to it because you're your bottle can never be corked. Um, you know, I'm old school. I still have a love for corked wines, just the, the whole process of uncorking it and, you know, um, hearing that pop sometimes that comes with it. But um, screw top wines are just as great, actually. Um, so, you know, they're, they're more common now. They're easy to open. Um, you know, you can store it just the same. So, you know, please, don't feel any different if you see a screw top um, bottle. So I'm going to pour me a glass. And we're going to get into it. Right away, um, guys, we're looking at this wine. You see like the bubbles in it. And I can smell right away um, 
the aromatics of this wine. Meaning I can right away smell the fruits and the, um, you know, the gooseberry. I can even smell like some green apples, you know, maybe some grapefruit. You know, I'm definitely like a little lemon in there. So I haven't even put it to my nose yet. My mouth is already watering, as you can tell. So let's take a, a look. It's clear. You know, this wine is clear. be considered to be um, a lemon clear type wine. It's the color. So again, it's clear. There are no sediments in it. We, you know, this is something you just look for in a wine. Um, now we're going to start to do our. Um, we're going to start to do our um, ranking. And as I'm looking in, I'm smelling this wine with our nose. <sighs> right, right from the beginning. I'm actually smelling the grapefruit. I actually smell a little bit of gooseberry. Also, it makes me, it makes me, reminds me of actually um, an apple. Um, um, now and later, actually, you know, we all have our different things that makes us think about, you know, wine, but this reminds me of like a, a apple flavored now and later, but you definitely can smell the grapefruits and all that good stuff in it just from the nose. So we haven't, we have our intensity there, right? Let's take a big amount of this wine, um, in our mouth. Um, and we're going to slowly drink it this time. But if you happen to swallow your wine right away, I am not going to judge. <laughs> Let's get a, a good amount of that in our mouth. Kind of squish it around a little bit so I can touch the back of your tongue in the back of your mouth. And this is how we're going to fill the, the, um, the senses of the wine. So right away, this wine is high in acid, like I mentioned before, uh, which is a good thing. However, they've done a great job with balancing this wine out with some fruit flavors, right? And the balance of this wine with the fruit flavors, I'm sorry, that uh, the watering effect that you're filling your mouth is acid. And, it, and um, Sauvignon Blancs are known to have to be high in acid, so that is expected. That's how the grape actually um, ripens and develops. It's a high acid grape. Um, they've done a great job of making this wine very crisp, um, and also getting your flavors in there, which is what we want. You know, again, I can definitely taste that grapefruit the same as I had on my nose, um, because I can pull a lot of flavors and notes out of here. We're going to say that this wine is both intense on our nose and on our palate, which is good. It has a great amount of complexity because I can pull different notes out of it. And I would say that um, it's, well, it's well balanced. You know, I don't feel like um, it's, a, you know, the alcohol outstand, out um, overpowers the wine. I don't feel like the acid overpowers the wine. It's a nice crispness um, that's great for, you know, outdoor summer picnics or any events that you have is, is actually in the north. Uh, we're having, we're starting to have wine festivals. So if you go to a wine festival and it's outdoors, you know, pick up your bottle of Sauvignon Blanc. It's great for outdoors, refreshing. And I, I get that with this one. I love it actually. Um, so the last thing we're going to um, rate this wine on is the length. 
how long does this wine, how long is the finish of this wine in your mouth? So let's take another sip so we can, we can think about the length of the wine. Get a good amount of your mouth, switch it around. Give it a second. And as we're talking, can you still taste some of the grapefruit in your mouth? I definitely can. Some of the pear, some of the green apple, I definitely can. And as I'm still talking, the flavors are still there. So they consider that to be somewhat of a long finish. I would say medium plus to long finish, but definitely there's a good finish in this wine. So because it has, um, in my opinion, and I hope um, you all did your own ranking, you don't have to necessarily go by what I'm saying, um, but in my opinion, since I was able to pull all four, the balance, the length, the intensity, and the complexity, from this particular bottle of wine, then I would actually rank this wine as outstanding. So if I was at a restaurant and um, they allowed me to sample this wine, I would go through that, the, the um, ranking of Blick, and then I would say, yes, I'll take it. Please pour me a full glass. Um, so that's how we rank our wines. I hope that was helpful for you. Um, please enjoy. So we, we um, Switched up the um, episodes a little bit for now, um, but still continue to make your boards um, and continue to, uh, you know, put your favorite bites on there and pair it with your wine. Again, I'm not big on pairing wines uh, per se because I hate to restrict myself to, um, to wine when it comes to food. However, Sauvignon Blanc is definitely a, a nice, refreshing wine you can have with a light meal. Uh, I would say fish or maybe pasta. Uh, if you're creating a board, you may want to put um, some of your, uh, you know, I love to actually put strawberries in my Sauvignon Blanc or a lot of my white refreshing wines. I'll sometimes put a strawberry as a garnish on the glass. Um, sometimes I'll even um, put some blueberries or blackberries um, in the glass just to make it pretty. Um, but those are definitely great fruits that you can add. Um, some peach and pears, all of that stuff you can put on your board to drink your Sauvignon Blanc, or you can just drink it just like I'm going to drink it tonight straight. So I appreciate you guys um, spending this time with me. Um, we will be introducing next um, episode. We're going to have a Chenin Blanc. Um, Chenin Blanc is actually um, a South African wine. Um, and we're going to um, have all the information for the wine and the link, um, all the description of what you can pick up for our next episode. And um, please grab your bottle from Total Wine. It's going to be delicious. We're going to get ready to tap a little bit in South Africa. Um, and we will enjoy. So, again, if you want to follow me, reach out to me. You know, I'm the owner of um, Barvino Blue. I can be reached on all the social media outlets, and you can follow me um, on our, um, our, our, sorry, catch you on our website at barvinoblue.com. All right, thank you so much. Let's enjoy our wines tonight. Um, enjoy, and we'll see you next time. Thank you, Wakia, for providing us with another opportunity to wind down together. Take a look at the show notes for more information about today's guest, links to the website, 
contact information, and social media channels. We really hope you enjoyed our conversation today. Think about one gem you can take away from this episode and apply it to your own life. Also, please take a moment to like the episode, subscribe to the channel, comment, and share with your family, friends, and colleagues. Till we meet again, remember to nourish your flourish and see you real soon. Salud!